The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. Recovery-oriented systems of care that build recovery capital Mm. is the way we have to go. So if you're giving somebody a condom, a crack pipe, a needle, a big book, a blue basic text, uh, trauma therapy, like whatever the whatever it is, if it's healthcare, does it build recovery capital to better somebody's life? This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities, including addiction, mental health, and trauma to live purposeful lives and that's what knocking doors down is all about giuseppe ganchi welcome uh, to knocking doors down we're both like caffeined up here right now caffeine and sugared <laughs> well i i, I want to start here because you told me i'll let you tell the listeners because i was fucking appalled there's no other way to put this yeah, uh, well, I'm in the Vancouver area, British Columbia, um, in Canada, and uh, where I work and all that part of my role is called community engagement. So I keep on on tabs, you know, with whatever addiction recovery conversations are going on in social media, and we can get more into why later on. But I, you know, today's been a fiery day. We have here in BC a top medical doctor, so she was, you know, the person that kind of did all the COVID stuff and you know did the press releases every day for covid and she, she carries a lot of weight especially in the province of bc she actually has authority here some provinces they're just a figurehead but she actually has authority over the government when there's a health crisis and the overdose crisis is a health crisis wow. um and and so the response to it hasn't been like covid but the, just trying to give you why this is important so she's the top doc in bc and so many people look to Vancouver as this state-of-the-art, innovative, progressive, uh, harm reduction response to addiction that works, that's evidence-based. And Dr. Bonnie Henry and the BCCSU, they're all at the top of that. Like They're the ones that everybody goes goo-goo-gaga over when they're at a conference or when their lips stop moving. Anyway, today a news clipping came out, and I don't know if it's a slip. I don't know if it's a misquote, but it's like a big news company. It's not just a rag bag. And, uh, and she goes on by saying uh, abstinence is an important treatment modality for people who have addictions, but not for opiate addiction. Uh, opiate addiction is chronic relapsing. So she goes on to say 
that um, some doctors are encouraging patients to quit doing drugs. This shows a lack of understanding of the complex issues at work. So basically she's saying, don't tell opiate addicts to stop using. They'll have to use for the rest of their life or be a patient of some form, safe supply for the rest of their lives, that recovery, especially abstinence, does not work for opiate addicts. So that kind of put us all on fire today because I work in a treatment center called Last Door which pretty much more than three quarters of the staff are opiate addicts in recovery. We have tons of friends that are in recovery from opiate addicts, and we've been around for 40 years. We have thousands of opiate addicts that are in recovery, abstinence recovery. So number one, how disrespectful to their journeys. Yeah. Like you owe them an apology. Like how dare you just take them out of the narrative of your public policy to push your safe supply agenda, whether or not you agree with safe supply or not. I am I like Switzerland's model of safe supply. I don't like Canada's model of safe supply. Switzerland has what they call high threshold safe supply. Here, mm-hmm. they're just giving it out like Tic Tacs. But to go on carte blanche and just say, hey, you're an opiate addict, you're never going to stop using. Thing. So you know what? You're just just don't stop. Yeah, that's <laughs> I mean, primarily alcoholic. That'd be like, well, we're gonna prescribe you at least one drink a day, or the gambling addict, buy at least one lotto ticket, or the sex and love addict. Well, at least have one affair yeah. a year or something. It's like, what the actual Yeah, what what like she's in charge, she's she's in charge. So like if she would have been like, you know, it's a chronic relapsing disease, you know, and you know, some ODB addicts don't stop using, we need to put them on medication. Great. But is this where is this what's where we're at now? Like when harm reduction started in British Columbia, I wasn't around. I was still, you know, long curly hair and all that kind of stuff 20 <laughs> years ago. But like it was never intended to get to this stage because right. I like thankfully work within with like our founder. You know, he's been around forever. And like he was there at the beginning of all this harm reduction world. Like. Like if you would have said, you know, 20 years ago, we're going to make sure that the harm reduction advocates say that recovery is impossible. Like, you know, that wouldn't have flown back then. But now all of a sudden, like, like, I don't see anybody attacking Bonnie Henry on Twitter right now. If I was to go on Twitter right now and say uh, consumption sites don't work and, uh, you know, people can recover and you should recover, I would get destroyed. Right. You know what I mean? But she like like this isn't even so we shared this amongst a lot of our social media networks. We might create a petition to like get her to apologize or you know what? Fire her ass. Yeah. Like you like you're a doctor. How can you say that? Can can you imagine? I'd always love saying this. Can <laughs> you imagine this world? Imagine you get cancer. You take your dad to the doctor. He's got cancer. The doctor sits him down. Well, you know what? Most people die. So see ya. Sure. You know what I mean? Just, 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 just whatever. Let's just make your dying easy. We're not going to do chemo. We're not going to try to get remission. We're not going to ha- try to help you recover. Here's some pain meds. You're going to die maybe next week, maybe two years. We don't know, but most people die. So like remission recovery, impossible. The world would go crazy. Yeah. Like cancer, the BC cancer, cancer, the cancer runs and the walks. Like we don't need any of that because most people die from cancer. It's true. No, but we, we, we have recovery and remission. And, and the goal is to help stop cancer. I don't know. 
couple of junkies who cares right just junkies let's just you know it's like we're it's a it's this you know this this i'm not going to say genocide but it's like this the pharmacolo- pharmacological response to addiction that basically if you got money you're going to go to private rehab and get clean right. if you're poor well you're you're never going to stop using. I control your healthcare in Canada anyway. In Canada, if you don't have private insurance and you don't have money to go to treatment, you go to the funded system. Right. And this is what Doctor Pony Henry says. So I'm so mad because like, we can recover. Yes, we do recover, and we. You, so you're taking someone that's already become dependent upon something, and you're just telling them. You're going to remain dependent. There's no hope. And you're welcome because I'm the one that's looking out for you. Yep. And how about the mom with an 18-year-old kid who just started using opiates a couple months ago? Right. Like the, and she reads this because she doesn't have a brother in AA. She doesn't have a, a grandfather in AA. She doesn't have a cousin in Narcotics Anonymous. She doesn't know anything. She's got this 18-year-old kid using drugs. BC's top doctor says, hey, they're never going to stop using. What's yeah. the mom going to do? Recovery shouldn't be something you find by accident. Recovery shouldn't be something you find at the Christmas dinner table because Uncle Jim is talking about his AA stories. Like Recovery should be available to every Everybody, no matter their social class, their financial class, no matter where they come from, like recovery should always be on the table along with harm reduction. So, like, I got a message to Dr. Bonnie Henry. And if anybody knows Dr. Bonnie Henry, this picture behind me, this is Recovery Day BC pre COVID 2019. Hmm. It's taken a lot of energy to get to there. We'll get back to there now that COVID's over. That's Recovery Day Overcoming Addiction. It's a street festival. I'm the chairman of the board for Recovery Day. Dr. Bonnie Henry, that group is in recovery. So I invite you to come on stage on September 10th, 2022 in New Westminster. Go on that stage and tell all those people their story doesn't matter and tell all those people to go back on opiates. I dare you to. Like, that's how personal I took this comment today. And I hope people in recovery email her. Her email address is let's take a look here. Uh, bonnie.henry at gov.bc.ca even if you're american even if you're wherever you're from like email this person and tell her you're wrong and as a doctor there's redemption like you need to talk to people in recovery from opiate addiction so yeah. that's where i'm at with that point it's absolutely ridiculous i know that we've uh, i've been taking a lot more in on harm reduction of course i I don't know about it there and what you're seeing i mean where we're at just a fentanyl crisis is absolutely insane Mm -hmm. yeah people are dying four or five a day in bc um so i have a question like why is europe not have a fentanyl crisis right why is portugal not have a fentanyl crisis Addiction's addiction. Why yeah. is why is Switzerland not have a fentanyl uh, crisis? Why does BC have like one of the worst fentanyl crises? San Francisco, Seattle, all these big cities. Yeah. Like it's it's really you know a conversation that needs to be had. Like a lot of a lot of misinformation has been given to North Americans about Europeans' harm reduction model. The truth is, you like a lot of people don't know this. You can't even smoke a joint. In Portugal, All right? It's a country with decriminalization. You like, like, go to Lisbon, find a, somebody that's from Lisbon to walk down the street smoking a blunt on Main Street. See how well that goes. They're, I've been there. They're not going to no. So 
it's it's go to Switzerland. High threshold. Like if you do heroin in Switzerland, literally you're considered a loser. Like it's not romanticized. It's not like oh trauma. It's not oh you you you've been you you've been you know given the hard end and you know we understand and it's none of that. So if you use drugs in Europe, and I've been there, I've got a movie in progress called Crisis. And from what I have been able to experience, if you do drugs, they're bad. They're Mm -hmm. not good for you. If you want to stop, we're going to help you. If you don't want to stop, you need to be responsible for your citizenship. Like, we're not going to let you just smoke crack on people's sidewalks in front of doorways. We're not going to let you shoot up wherever you want. We're not going to let you do social disorder. Like, you will be punished if you break the law. But if you use drugs, you won't be punished. We'll help you. That's what Portugal's done for over 20 years. You know, it's yeah. called the Commission of Drug Dissuasion that nobody talks about. It's yeah. like they haven't been doing decrim for 20 years. They've been doing dissuasion for 20 years. Iceland, same thing. They invested in community. They had one of the worst alcohol consumption rates in the world. And what did they do? They tur- They didn't make using. They didn't have Bonnie Henry showing up saying, hey, you know what? You're never going to stop using. So let's just support your using. They invested money in community. They invested money in high schools. They call it Planet Youth. They put so much money into kids. So they had community. And now they have one of the lowest alcohol consumption rates. I think North America has become addicted to the quick fix. We want to fix this now. Here's your pill for your pain. Here's your pill for your anxiety. Here's your quick fix. Doesn't fix shit. But let's just pretend we could. And then we pat ourselves on the back. Like we run around, you know, the drug ghettos with naloxone kits and army boots and call ourselves like frontline workers. Like we're in an army, like some kind of noble thing. It's ridiculous. Like it's absolutely ridiculous because prevention is the noble act. I want to stop you from becoming worse and worse and worse. And we we lost that. There's no prevention going on in Canada or U.S. So that's our biggest issue right now is like we wait until you're on fire to help you. And Europe didn't do that. You know, they were really, people don't even know this. So we got a downtown east side of Vancouver and they're just putting band-aids and band-aids and band-aids. I mean, you look at San Francisco, their districts that they had just band-aids and band-aids. You know what Portugal did when they decriminalized drugs? I don't. They had a drug ghetto that was, you know, 10 city blocks long and open air drug market. The, the big, at that time, the biggest open air drug market in the world. They took a bulldozer and they tore every building down, <laughs> fenced it off, rebuilt buildings, public housing, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's just like, no. Our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because I want a better gut health, more energy, and to optimize my immune system. If you're like me, you hate popping pills, taking vitamins, well I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great. And I wanted to see what the hype was all about. So what is this stuff? Well with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and aptogens to help you start your day right. No matter what your lifestyle is, keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, AG1 can work for you. Plus, it contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything, while still tasting good. AG1 costs less than $3 a day. It's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system 
with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com emerging. Again, that's athleticgreens.com emerging to take ownership of your health and pick the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Well, you and I know better than, well, and so many others know, you find purpose you're not going to be seeking that stuff. You know, yeah. it's yeah. so important to, to realize that, Hey, I, yes, I'm insignificant, but I'm significant at the same time. And once you start finding that path of purpose, you, you know, it's, you don't want to do that shit anymore. You know, I love uh, Robert Downey Jr. This is one I hang my hat on Giuseppe is uh, sure. I'd love to have a drink, but I have plans for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's true. You you rebuild your life and and something I had to do. I had to rebuild my life. I mean, before I got into recovery, I didn't talk to my family. I didn't talk to my mom. You know, I'm a gay man from the West End. I had a life like that was completely on the path towards an early death. If you would have told me what my life would have been like today, like back when I was brand new, I would have been like, I have two car seats in my car. <laughs> I love like, it. I mean, I'm Uncle G to two of the best four-year-olds in the world. Like, that just was not part of my journey, you sure. know, and, 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 and to, 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 to just be given an opportunity to actually get outside of myself and understand, like, I'm not the most important person in the world. Huge journey, but it's, it's, it's easy and it's not easy. You know, at the end of the day, if you're not supported, like I w- I'm lucky I went to this place called Last Door and they supported me and, you know, they called me on my shit. They, they told me to take my inventory or they will, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, and yeah, you end up with the person. Not That's not everybody's journey. I get that. But at least give them a chance yeah. at like doing recovery. According to what we started the show off with, you're telling people don't even bother. Right. I mean, we always got to bother. We oh, because people know, like, you know, when no one gives a shit about you you know you know when because i did the homeless food line you know it's just like i i'm just here you know i'm a number and you know these nonprofits are making so much money these days and all that kind of stuff it, it, it's just it, you know when people give up on you and and we can't give up on people as a society we just can't do that uh, you know one of the the opportunities that you get is you get to see some of the sickest people get well. I mean, because sometimes you're in denial. I, I didn't know how sick I was when I got here, but then you see other people and you, and when you try to elevate everybody, you can, you, you end up elevating all the people around you. So we took Dr. Golau. He is the founder of the Portuguese model. And we brought him to Vancouver and because we we're doing research, you know, part of what we do, we organize a conference. We we wanted to talk about the Portuguese model because Vancouver was so interested in the Portuguese model, and so we toured him on the downtown east side, and he just looked around and he just was like, "This is insane." He's yeah. like, "It's clear to me what's happened here," and we're like, "Why?" And he goes, "In Portugal, we left the responsibility of citizenship to the drug addict." It's very clear to me here in Canada, the state has taken over citizenship for the addict. 
Yeah. And that's such a big statement because that's it. It's like, you don't need to do it. You can sit on that sidewalk all day. Yeah. You know, well, and I agree when I spoken at uh, high schools and I tell my story to, you know, these 16, 17, 18 year olds here, I talk about that when they, they go, they're dumbfounded about the, the vulnerability. And one young lady goes, uh, you know, you speak about gratitude for it. And I go, yeah, I am grateful because now I can do this to hopefully empower you. And she goes, what do you mean? I go, end of the day, it's on you. I'm not the person that's going to sit here and tell you not to drink, not to have drugs. Yeah. Uh, you heard my story. It's not like I didn't have fun. I had fun until it wasn't fun because I was killing myself because I was so more wrapped up into that than a purposeful life. It's your responsibility. Uh, I'm not, I'm not the dare program. I'm not the just say no. Cause that shit <laughs> didn't work. will never work. I but, always say maybe, <laughs> yeah. but if you understand the potential path, especially if you're like me or potentially like you, Giuseppe, that, Hey, these trauma backgrounds, I wasn't willing to confront them. Know that there is a way to confront them prior to this shit ever becoming a problem. And you have a purpose through that. Exactly. I, I mean, at the end of the day, drugs and alcohol, that's the thing with safe supply in Canada. Sure. So in, in Switzerland and the Netherlands and other countries that have safe supply, it's not free drugs. It's healthcare, mm -hmm. And they're very strict about that. And it's like the numbers of people that can access safe supply in the Netherlands, where it's almost like palliative care. It's like you have to be literally at your end's end. Mm. to get safe supply mm -hmm. in Vancouver. It's bending. I mean, they're giving safe supply to 19 year olds wow. that have been doing dope for like just a little bit of time. Like I can get safe supply, suboxone drug paraphernalia within minutes. But if I want to be like, Hey, I want to stop like get in line, get in line. If you even want to consider going to rehab, same thing within some parts of the USA. And that's this, this shift where we're like, wait a minute, you know, like this is not what we were sold. We were sold the Swiss model and the Portuguese model of decrypt, but you're giving us these hybrid versions that are actually aren't based on any evidence. They're just like some kind of ideology. I, like I said, and, and to anybody watching this thinking I'm like against anything, I'm like, like give some of my friends safe supply. They need it. But yeah. when, when you're given unlimited amounts of safe supply drugs to 19 year olds. And the idea for them to go to rehab is like six month wait list. It's wrong. Yeah. Like it's completely wrong. And, and you don't have anybody from the mountaintop screaming that, you know, if I'm a nurse, I like this scenario and hopefully this kind of like gets people to understand the severity of this. If I'm a nurse, and I work at, so the downtown east side has like 20 consumption sites. So everybody thinks there's only one at inside. It's like everywhere, right? Sure. So, so if I work there and I dabble in opiates, <laughs> it becomes a problem. And I get caught at work or I get honest, you know, something's wrong. The employer finds out that this nurse is an opiate addict. If I'm a patient, like I'm a, a I would work the streets. I'm a downtown East side resident and I got the same opiate addiction. We buy our opiates from the same fucking dealer. And I sit there and I put my hand up as a patient saying, Hey, uh, nurse at the OPS, I want to stop doing drugs. 
you get given a condom, some lube, some needles, a crack pipe, a needle, whatever, drug paraphernalia, phone numbers, and you have to wait in line. Chances of you ever going to treatment, pretty nil. Yeah. But that nurse with the same addiction, the same despair in the morning that I got to do it again, and the same you know, withdrawals coming if she doesn't get her next fix, gets flown VIP to a treatment center to get abstinence-based recovery. Hmm. Within a day, like, and I know, cause I, like, I know I work in the industry and one day I was just like, cause my, I have a friend who's a nurse who got sent to treatment and I have friends who use, and I'm like, why? Yeah. It's the same addiction. It's the yeah. same addiction. Why did they get the needles, the condoms, the lubes, the pipes, you know, and why did they get flown to a private treatment center on taxpayers dime, by the way. Yeah. And so we're not talking about that, especially in Canada. We're not talking about that. I know the U.S. is a bit different with insurance, but that's a oh, huge sucks. issue. Yeah, it's a huge it issue. Sucks here. It no. sucks here. And, you know, if you have uh, any subsidized government or like, good luck. Good luck finding a treatment center. You're screwed. Yeah. You're pretty much screwed. And if you're the, say, 15 to 18 and you know it, you already know it's a problem, extra good luck. Extra good luck. Yeah, it's unfortunate. So for viewers and listeners, I don't know how this restreams, you know, Al-Anon, Naranon, Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, like they work. Just yeah. keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. Um, you know, we try to do the message of recovery because so many people were recovering anonymous that and and the world twitter and social media you know the harm reduction had a really loud voice yeah. and 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 recovery didn't so we decided to like get in wars with all the people about the traditions of toasting <laughs> programs about a decade ago which was really fun uh maybe even 12 years ago and it was just like you can't do that it's like i can use the word recovery i'm just not going to use the word na okay relax yeah. don't worry we'll all survive and and then it became like a mission like we got to recover out loud yep. and that kind of started our engagement activities recovery day this year is its 10th anniversary i remember going to pride day in 2007 and mm -hmm. i was still a client in rehab and uh, kind of like in transitional living and and with a couple of the other guys that wanted to go to the pride parade and there was like the parade's over and we're like now what <laughs> you know because everything <laughs> everything went to a beer garden or a bar yeah and i was living in a rehab center so i was like what do we do you know what i mean we're looking at each other and, and i felt like a loser like i was just like sure. oh, I, gotta go. I gotta go home you know i gotta go back to rehab you know and i had fun at the parade but um you know like thankfully uh, you know i've always been that like what can we do to fix this and um and so with the year after you know a, a friend of mine had a farm and i'm like hey can i borrow your truck and he's like total like cowboy you know not gay and he's like for what i'm like for the pride parade he's like fuck you you know <laughs> like, i'm like come on we have no money like none of us had money and so we put in this rinkity dinky like just you know hay moving truck you know in a pride parade and we had no name and we just it was nine of us nobody wanted to like be part of it and it was just a like a recovery float in the parade and it, it, you know it was it was just it was just so grassroots it was great sure. and uh, we had the time of our life and then that kind of spurred into like what can we do some people were curious, but a lot of people in the LGBT community were in the closet about being in recovery. They didn't like 
people didn't want people like because they still went to bars and they didn't want people like you didn't recover out loud you know back then and uh, and so we decided to throw a dance outside of the fellowship like toronto here in a big city here in canada you know they have an aa pride dance but we didn't want to do that because we didn't want to do a a fellowship dance we wanted we wanted people to come and we had a all of 60 people come um, couldn't even give tickets away. And somebody showed up in a mask. I was just like, you were in a mask. It's like, I don't want people to know. I'm like, like it was like being 16 going to Toronto pride and people like, Oh, I don't want to go. People might see me. And I'm just like the same narrative was going on with this recovery idea for, for pride pride as an agency didn't even participate. They're like, Oh, we don't want, like we're like we're beer sales right and so the now this is three years later you know hopefully the, you know three years later i'm like hey, like the, i hope people see the importance of this yeah you know, so many uh lgbt community members relapse during pride because they're all in the bars you know the, it's just like uh, the addiction in the gay community is so strong and the, but there's one element i remember being 16 going to pride i never saw the word sober i never saw the word recovery nothing right sure. so my dream was to have a banner in downtown Vancouver during Pride. And we came up with the name Clean, Sober, and Proud. You can go to the website, cleansoberandproud.com. And uh, years later, partnership with Vancouver Pride in the heart of the West End on Davies Street, this big space, big stage with Clean, Sober, Proud up on the stage. Everybody that went to Pride saw that banner. And I was just like, we've done it. You know what I mean? We've we've like, yeah. we've we've done it. It's like you know, redefined pride for a lot of people, made pride accessible to a lot of people. Took the idea that you have to get fucked up on pride yeah. out. It's like if you get fucked up, that's cool. I got fucked up for years of pride. Right <laughs> on. Do it. Keep doing it. Like this. This isn't like Whatever. don't like like this is like don't do that. It's just a space where that's not. Uh, gonna happen like the person next to you is not going to be on ghb triggering you that kind of environment and mm-hmm. and that's inclusivity it's just like now we're now we're inclusive like now we've got a really cool space because i don't want to go to a church basement on pride like i want to sure. be in the action is and so we've been working with other cities we've get calls like how did you do this and 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 work and money and you know because it takes a lot to get a gay man or a lesbian woman or whatever your 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 life is out of the bar and into a, a space so so there is that component entertainment and and we, we 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 did that piece and got the entertainment to to turn it into an event and and so if you're like you know uh, part of that community sober curious whatever the uh, uh, you got to make the fun so if you got the ability like go on a committee volunteer don't expect it to happen because it ain't that's what Vancouver Pride told us. They're like, they don't organize sober parties. So you do it. And I was like, okay, we will. <laughs> right. We'll take it out. <laughs> well, I think, I think it's really great that you, you bring all that up, especially what I can relate to from friends of mine that in the LBGTQ community is like you said, it, it because of stigmas or fear of coming out or whatever it is, when there was the gatherings, like you said, it was in a bar. This was the establishment. So what does a person that is either have a problem acknowledging it, seeking recovery or totally in recovery do to intermingle with people? And we have to give as much 
opportunity for anyone, no matter what, to to go out and connect with community. Uh, you know, as you and I know, the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety; it's, it's connectivity. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's like, come on, can we just help people connect? That's like, you know, I work, Giuseppe, I work events where I got to announce the liquor sponsors, but hey, that's the job at the time. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that. Just, I'm not going to have a drink with you. It's just never exactly, going to happen. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, people, especially the non-recovery community, like people that are just yeah. like coming because A, they want to see the entertainment or they're like, oh, this is interesting. Let's check it out. Like they're floored. They, they, they just... Like the idea of having fun without booze is just like yeah. I just it, it's I didn't think of it until I got into recovery, right? So it's not, <laughs> it's not something you think about. So you know we do that, and 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 but the goal is always to try to keep the recovery community connected. Um, you know, one of the other projects that we worked on, we launched an app. We didn't want to reinvent yeah. Facebook for people in recovery because we don't really need that. But we wanted an ability to number one. Um, a lot of my friends are dead, you know, and, and I was in a coffee shop, you know, one of my friends uh, had relapsed and he did the same story that I did when I relapsed. It's like, oh, everyone's judging me and everyone's talking about me. And some of that is true. Sure. And most of it's not like, like people don't talk about me all the time, <laughs> you know, and, and but I believed it when I relapsed and came back. Like, yeah. I just it's like, you know, I, I was throwing up in my in my mouth because I was so anxious when I came back after a relapse. And and uh, like, I believed it, you know, like I, like these meetings weren't for me anymore. And and so we were telling him, it's just like, hey, like, we love you. You're part of our meetings. Like, we'll see you tonight. Let's have breakfast. And there was like six of us at the table. And, you know, you do that newcomer thing and have breakfast with them. And let me make sure you know, the next day he was dead. You know, and 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 that story just repeats itself, you know, over and over again, and and uh, you know, mourned that, and 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 it was really sad, and he was young, and it's just completely unfair, and you yeah. know, everybody's going down the safe supply route and the harm reduction route, and all this kind of stuff, and I'm just thinking of his life, you know, he really thought he wasn't connected to the recovery community anymore, and there's a lot of harm reduction apps out there, like overdose prevention apps. Yeah. We wanted to create something that's for people like us because I wanted to make sure that he, if he would have still been around, knew that he's still part of our community. It's got an overdose prevention tool on it. You can add digital spotters on the app. So if you do return to use, like... I would have been like, Hey, Tristan, if you're going to use tonight, use the app. Like I'll, I'll, I'll digital, I'll, I'll spot you digitally. And, and, and so this is what that is. It's an ability to be able to digital spot your friends. If they're still using a sponsor, a sponsor, whatever, a family member, mm-hmm. somebody living in your basement or in, in the bedroom next door. And if they use and go unconscious, you get an, an alert that, Hey, they, they haven't shut their clock off. You, you should go down there and Narcan them or, mm-hmm. or call an ambulance. You have their address because it, pins where they're at and then it's got the social media streaming meetings speaker tapes all that other kind of stuff but we wanted to build an app that i find the overdose prevention apps are just about overdose prevention right i don't think some of my friends that have passed away would have gone to a consumption site ever and i don't think it's stigma i think it's just they want to use at home. They have a home. Yeah. They have Netflix. They have a big couch. They like hookers coming in and out. Like, they don't, <laughs> they don't, like I mean, like serious stuff, right? Like yeah. they don't want to go to a consumption site. Like they, they that's not what they do. And, well, and so many of us go into seclusion too. Yeah. 
well, you yeah, know, yeah. I don't want to go there. I like want to use it home. Yeah. And so, so that's why I'm like, I'm, I'm like, yeah, we need consumption sites, but they're not going to stop the overdose crisis. Yeah. Like well, I, I never, I- never would have used it. Like I, I liked using yeah. <laughs> alone and um, it just is. We're at uh, last door recovery center. What you brought up Narcan, which is so important. A lot of people don't know about it. You know, Hey, two spritzes up the nose. There you go for your opioid addict. How much is the education? Cause I've been a part of a, a, an organization where I'm at that. That's a huge part of what we're doing and educating people because Addiction so here, stronghold, so, so you know, hey. naloxone is free. Everybody gets. We have like naloxone kits, like boxes of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is what we tell, like these idiots, Doctor Bonnie Henry, that we started the show about. When a client is leaving treatment as an incomplete status because they um, they're leaving, uh, most of them tell us to go fuck ourselves. <laughs> Like they don't, they don't like here, take the naloxone kit. Here's the harm reduction package. They don't even take it. They're like, like, it's just, there's, (laughs) there's the chalkboard boardroom table, whiteboard research response to addiction. Sure. Where the, you got all these people coming up with all these amazing, you know, things that on the whether it's a blackboard, a chalkboard, a whiteboard, a PowerPoint, a Zoom meeting, you name it, just some really great stuff. Like I've seen some of it, these packages, and they, you know, all this great stuff. And then there's reality. Yeah. And the reality is, is go fuck yourself. I'm not going to die. Like the denial, like nobody talks about the denial piece of it. Everyone talks about stigma. We've talked about mm-hmm. stigma. Everyone talks about stigma. It's denial. I mean, I don't care. We did a survey of 900 people in recovery. The number one reason why they didn't get help, refused help, or didn't recover was denial. Stigma wasn't even on the chart and mm-hmm. it was an option. So, we presented that to Health Canada, can, you know, all these, they don't care. It doesn't fit. Yeah. Stigma it's not good kills. good for the narrative, right? It's not good for the it's stigma. Denial. How dare you say the word denial? Denial. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's, I don't have a problem. You see these guys when they leave treatment and the girls at the women's program. It's like, I'm not going to, how dare you think I'm going to die? I don't like they never say, oh, you know, it's very stigmatizing to use an naloxone kit like that, that, that. That's not the language we use. It's not. I mean, I don't know where you're at with the stigma world, but I just like to like no one says the word denial. I've never heard the CCSA say denial. I've never heard Health Canada say denial. You'll never hear Bonnie Henry say denial. Mm-hmm. And yet that is, you know, when you talk to people in recovery, it's just like I never. Had. So there's this new thing that came out in Canada anyway, and it's making its way to the US. So this is their new reasoning. Most people who die of addiction aren't addicts. They're just people who use occasionally. And the reason why they're not addicts is because when we pull after they die, when we pull their health records, it shows no interaction with the healthcare system that they were seeking help. Okay. Makes great, makes great sense. Like, wow, let me put that on a whiteboard and everybody with a PhD is going to be like, that's amazing. These people yeah. are not addicts. Phenomenal. Anyways, so I didn't show up to rehab till I was 35. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, I didn't like really trust me until I was 36 years old. I, I was an so addict I'm... when I was 18 years old. I was in a bar seven days a week doing cocaine, ecstasy and alcohol <laughs> every day. <laughs> I never the only reason I ever went to get help. And this is my coming out story is I, I finally had successfully, you know, successful. Uh, what do you call those uh, uh, addicts who can use uh, functioning addicts? You sure, know, sure. As, as is. I made it in life. I was smoking so much crack uh, and I had I was wearing a suit going to work and I had a glass office and I got caught smoking dope at my desk. And my boss, who I had no idea, was an AA sober. She broke her anonymity. There was an intervention and, you know, life, life. And my first response was, how dare you? I'm suing your asses, right? Way to invade my privacy. Exactly. (laughs) My office, right? I can just see you with the pookie just. And so I brought that up as if I would have died that day, I would have been considered not an addict. And so we're basing so much policy on Twitter hashtags and Twitter rhetoric. And it's just like, yeah, most people that have died in Canada, I don't know about the U.S., that don't have a a health record of asking for help. It's not because of stigma. It's because they never thought they had a fucking problem. Yeah, Yeah. You're using fentanyl in a world where people are dying every day. And you're yeah. still using it, and you're going to call that person uh, just a, a casual functioning user. Yeah. Like, like if I like if I didn't have an addiction, I'd probably stop using fentanyl. Yeah. But it's because I'm addicted to it that I'm using it. And so, so this is the whole safe supply conversation. That's why we need safe supply in 7-Elevens yeah. and stores everywhere, because you know people just do it. They're not addicted to it. A lot of a lot of Taekwondo in the narrative that's going on. You know, at the end of the day, they, they make it sound like, you know, it, it's organic. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> right. good for you. You know, like people have been doing opiates forever. They weren't doing fentanyl forever. Like we've got something else going on here. And, uh, you know, you end up in a day like today, this morning, where you have, you know, health providers saying that recovery is impossible and, 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 and they're still showing up to work tomorrow. Yeah. You know, but if the same healthcare worker says harm reduction doesn't work, they're getting fired. So right. I don't want to go down the Michael Schellenberger's of San Francisco conspiracy thing that's going on. I mean, I listened to his talk and, you know, he's got a lot of weight in what he says. You know, we turn into a society where we're okay leaving somebody in a box all day to smoke crystal meth and walk away and call it healthcare. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to attack anyone that does harm reduction. I think we're all trying our best. But we need to start raising our voices too in people in recovery. Like, enough's enough. Like, yeah. don't diminish my story. Don't devalue my story. Don't say I don't exist. The minute you start saying people don't exist, I hope is the fire that lights that crowd that's behind me to say, hey, you can't say that. We exist. Like, yeah. recovery is possible. And you know what? My cousin deserves you know, recovery and, and just as much as they deserve safe supply and harm reduction supplies and, and all that kind of stuff. And that's what this is about. Unfortunately, the silos of healthcare are gotten really thick where there's the harm reduction camp, the abstinence camp, and the, I don't give a fuck camp. And, and those silos have gotten so thick that we're not, we're not going to solve these issues. And, you know, I just remember the AIDS crisis. I was going to bars when I was really young. So I, I went through all of that. And 
when the AIDS crisis happened, in my view, from my lens, at my age, under the influence, mind you, um, we all got together. Right. And we all said, we want a cure. Yeah, we want condoms. Yeah, we want education. Yeah, we want prevention. We want a fucking cure. Yeah. That's what we, and we all got together and we all had one message and we didn't fight, you know, but here we're like, you have your harm reduction rallies, you have your recovery day rallies, you have, you know, I try, there's naloxone training here. There's, you know, everything from Jesus camps to, to 12 step camps to non 12 step programs. They're all invited. We just keep pharmaceuticals outside of recovery day because we don't take any big pharma money. Yeah. But, like we're not on the same we're not on the same walk you know until all the harm reduction advocates retweet bonnie henry's and i'm pointing to my other screen right now if you're wondering what i'm doing my hand until i see mom stop the harm and the bccsu and all these harm reduction people retweet bonnie henry's article saying this is wrong we're not on the same page yeah we're not and they're not going to and i've gotten a lot of personal fights where i have friends who will scream from the mountaintop about harm reduction, but the minute recovery gets, you know, stabbed, uh, it's like crickets. Yeah. You know, it's like crickets, you know, we and then to, we have to make a concerted uh, effort and decision here. What is our end game? Far as I know is to continue to show that we do recover and that's it. And there's multiple paths there, but, but, if we're not focused on getting people and knowing that people do get sober and live wonderful, purposeful lives and just magic transformations. I mean, I'm going to go, you know what? I'm going to go even further than that. And just to prove to everybody, I'm not this sober junkie. Sobriety is not the goal. No better health comes as the goal. And we believe our camp you know, that's all behind me in the offices back there. Recovery-orientated systems of care. Write this down, everybody. Recovery-orientated systems of care that build recovery capital mm. is the way we have to go. So if you're giving somebody a condom, a crack pipe, a needle, a big book, a uh, blue basic text, uh, trauma therapy, like whatever the whatever it is, if it's healthcare, does it build recovery capital to better somebody's life? We're not going to give p- cancer patients and everybody else just kind of like, maybe this would help. It's like we give them health care. And, and so does your health care improve people's health comes? If, if you're just sitting there and not improving somebody's health, then it's not health care. Public health is something totally different, but we're talking about health care. How is it? So we should have recovery-oriented harm reduction. You know, we should have recovery-orientated safe supply, where recovery is always a goal. So people don't think I'm crazy, and I don't know how much longer we have. So here, here's Vancouver. Vancouver just did their city hall um, uh, meetings to uh, write a letter to create decrim in the city of Vancouver. Okay, mm-hmm. For years, they've been talking about the Portuguese model. Voter buy-in. Everyone says we need to decrim, decrim, decrim. It's like become a chant, decrim. Nobody knows what the fuck they're talking about, decrim, decrim. Because Portugal's models, they got the least amount of overdoses. Look at Portugal. They, everybody thinks Portugal is this pedestal. And so we went around Vancouver and we asked people, do you know what the Commission of Drug Dissuasion is? Guess how many people knew? I'll oh, tell you, zero. zero. Yeah. Like nobody knew what it was. They're like, what is it? 
So then now years have gone by all this, you know, uh, public deception is what I want to call it has been done telling everybody about the Portuguese decrim model. So everyone's in it. They vote mayor Kennedy Stewart and all these people are in, everybody's voted in now it's time to have city hearings. And so the city's officially going to write a letter to health Canada saying we're ready. Guess what they say at the city hall meeting. We want to implement Portugal's decrim model without underline that nobody really thought was important except for some of us without any resemblance of the commission of drug dissuasion as penalties do not uh, decrease you know harms from drugs then how are you doing their model period and it was done approved everyone signed nobody knew what the fuck was being talked about and they're like decram 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 <sighs> so vancouver everyone that voted for this guy thinks this guy's like amazing like and, and the deception is so hidden that nobody even knows it happened. Yeah. And so now they're going to do decrim according to Portugal. It's evidence-based without de- without any dissuasion, without any kind of resemblance to the dissuasion, dissuasion commission. And that's it. Like history is done. It's, you yeah, know we're good. I mean? we, we did our we're jobs. Good. We're great. Reelect us. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Same thing, you know what I mean? And that's the the power, you know, of social media, hashtags, years of, you know, deception. Like, that's what it was. Like, you're not doing, you know, you're not doing what's evidence-based. You're not. You're not. It's period. So nowhere have they given out safe supply like candy. I mean, like, you just go to the vending machine. You just get it. You get 30 pills, and, and you just give it out to everybody, and then you buy your fentanyl an hour later, and you just do that. These people are just doing this diversion. It's it's so gross yeah. that that it, – it's it, that's the only word I have for it. Like, if you actually come down – I'll come, call me. I'll take you. Stand yeah. in front of the – like, it's, it's so sad. Yeah. That, it's disheartening for sure. Yeah, I mean, it is. Yeah, it's. Uh, hey, see, we did our job. Great, we're good. And then <laughs> reelect us. And hey, keep that money coming in too, farm. And we're we're fine. And see, everybody's good. We're taking care of everybody. And it's just a bunch of horseshit. Yeah, because you're you're the 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 coroner who does the the actual numbers. They don't care how you look, feel. They just care that you're breathing. Yeah. And all, everyone across Canada, I'm pretty sure the states, they're coroners are getting jammed by the public health offices. Like how many died? How many died? Mm. Oh, less. Okay, good. How they're living. No one's asking. Not even that they don't care. It's just that they want to know the headline in the paper is is going to be 2000 or is it going to be 1000? That's all they care about. They don't care if it's like 2000 people on welfare, 2000 people like, like rich, poor that they bought their kids presents in the last five years. Like none of that matters. Are they breathing? Okay, good. I, I, I've reduced overdoses. Yeah. So they they don't care about the social capital, human capital, uh, spiritual capital. They don't care about any of that. They just care about one thing, breath. And yeah, you know, everyone's going to say, well, you, you're not going to recover if you're dead. You know, that's a horrible, horrible hashtag because yeah. that means that all I need to do is breathe. It doesn't matter if I shat my pants. I haven't taken a shower in weeks. I haven't seen my kids in years, but I'm breathing. So that's good. Yeah, Thanks. I- Completely, lo- I have you yeah. know 
no senility. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, everything's yeah. gone. But yeah. I'm breathing. You but know I'm what I mean? Thank you. Yeah, thank right. you. You get to check off on your report that I'm breathing, and that's one less death. And that's just, I'm not a PhD. You know, I've been around the block a bit. I'm like, you know what? Like, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm just disgusted that that's what my friends that are still using have to deal with. That's the way I got into treatment no longer exists. How no did longer you get exists. into treatment? So I ended up going, I, I walked into a, a guy by accident um, because my employer was going to send me to treatment, but I had some issues. And next thing you know, I'm in an alley in the downtown East side and a, and a 12 step member, a member of NA who worked down there. Um, saw me, chatted with me, and basically told me how to get into detox and how to get into treatment. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to get on a wait list. I went to detox, was there for a week and a half, maybe two weeks, did stabilization of that detox until the bed opened up at the treatment center I work at. The whole process took four weeks. Uh Now, if you go to detox, you automatically get put on safe supply. Sure. automatically like they give you the prescription for it some detoxes will do um suboxone or methadone um or they'll just go right to safe supply and it could take six months to a year like you can the they've taken the ability to do wait lists for treatment centers away from the treatment centers for the funded system and it's all done in this bureaucracy machine where you have to go to counseling first and they've just completely taken it away um and then, you know, I know people that, you know, whipped up their credit card and went to a private treatment center the day they wanted to. So um, that's one of the reasons why I got involved in doing this kind of work. I thought that was completely unfair. Like when I finally detox and kind of like stabilized and, you know, did some step work and kind of just looked around, I was just like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> <laughs> like, like what just happened? Like, mind you, the... Like, what just happened? Like, why did I have to go into this Salvation Army shelter? Right. Why, why did I have to do all that? Like, why I had to go on welfare? Like, wh- like I don't understand what just happened. And then I found out what happened. It's, it's you know, it's the classes of people, yeah. you know? And you know, if I broke my arm, or not the States, but here, if I broke my arm, it would have got fixed right away. doesn't matter. But for treatment, like I just had to do all this stuff, you know, because they didn't have the money to pay for it. Yeah. That's totally pretty, unfair. Yeah. It is. It's a screwed up system. And, yeah. you know, I think we're dealing with very, very similar things here in the States, in the United yeah. States, for sure. Uh, just seeing it. I had a friend recently, childhood friend, and he, he, he just couldn't get anywhere even to detox, you know, because he oh. didn't have the ad uh, state insurance. So he was screwed. So I was like, what do I do? You know, do I sit and shiver in my bed for a week and, you know, puke and shit myself there? And, you know, so it's, it's, yeah. And that's one of the things that we talked about with um, our people in charge at health here. They do all these campaigns, you know, don't use alone. They do campaigns about, you know, go to a safe consumption site here. They do all these campaigns. I'm like, you can do any recovery campaigns. Like, Mm -hmm. Hey, you can, you can you can do this you you can recover it's like just a brick wall they, they don't even understand like that conversation so like people think people have been going to 12-step meetings and not going to treatment for decades yeah. you know but 
you've got all this media content, clickbait articles that say 12-step programs don't work, that I'm 19, I'm on Facebook. I'm like, well, I'm not going to go to one of those meetings. They don't work. Yeah, which is bullshit. That's the of path course I it took. is. Yeah, it's yeah. the clickbait articles. I, I mean, where's your public messaging that that? And I don't want you to promote twelve star programs, but just recovery, like all of them. Like, yeah. there's so many. Like, go ahead, pick any one. <laughs> pick one, right? <laughs> pick one. And if but, that one doesn't work, try the next one. Yeah, and, but on. where's your public messaging? And it's just you know nothing. It's just like don't use a loan. It's like okay, <laughs> construction workers who are like you know, some of the highest rates of overdoses here in Canada, people mm. that work in the construction industry, they spent millions of dollars on advertising towards that market to get them to go to consumption sites, not to use a loan. And like, they're not going to go to a consumption site. Like, are you stupid? They make five, $6,000 a month. Mm. If they get caught going to a consumption site, it's called the safety sensitive position. They can't go to work. Yeah. Well, we need to put consumption sites on their job sites. I'm like, are you... Are you like crane operators doing crystal meth, they exist. Yeah. And secrecy, like they're not, like that's why they use a loan. Like you don't understand this isn't stigma. This is junky language. Like I'm not going to ask for help because if I go on disability short term, I'm going to make half my wage. Yeah. Like I'm going to, I'm going to like not tell anybody I'm doing heroin. Like I'm not going to use healthcare service. I'm going to use a loan. And, and, and that's why this whole, like that scenario, the whiteboard, chalkboard, you know, boardroom table, it's, there's that world. And then there's the real world. I remember getting an argument with our city councilor at recovery day in that crowd. Actually, (laughs) He's talking to me, you know, he's a big harm reduction guy. And he's like, can you believe they're trying to force workers to go to treatment? I'm like, I won't say his name. I'm like, well, they have to. Like, and there was happened to be a crane, like just down the block that was up in the air. I'm like, you see that crane up there? And I'm like, yeah, like my friend used to work up there on crystal mats, you know, and he got caught and and now he's, you know, in recovery. Like, like, do you have any idea what occupational health is? Oh, you know what Twitter is and Twitter fans and Twitter retweets are, but do you actually know, you know, what could possibly pilots? Yeah. Don't know if they're landing or taking off. That's a true story. Yeah. You know, so let's give them harm reduction. Oh, no, they deserve, you know, better health care than somebody who's, you know, just a streetcar pusher. Yeah. So what's the end game? Recovery oriented assistance of care, like, you know, world peace. Never going to happen. I get it. But we need to do and uh, Thanks for doing your show. We need to really yeah. point out like when Dr. Bonnie Henry, who means nothing in California, means a lot here. But there's a Bonnie Henry in California. Don't Absolutely. think there isn't when when she's got that much power and that much ooh gaga kind of like fanfare says recovery is impossible. We can't let people get away with that. We can't. Yeah. No. Well, hey, the, you know, anybody that's listening, most are watching, most likely they are someone that they know has gone through it. And uh, hey, you're talking to you got two people talking that you're listening to. There's proof that it does. And we have different paths. So, hey, there's options. Yeah, there's there's a lot of options. And we, we have and, to make sure they're always available. Absolutely. Uh, Giuseppe, I know that we've, uh, man, we dug into some serious stuff, which I'm really glad to do. Um, but uh, just I, a I like, regular day. <laughs> right. It's okay. It's been a while since I've gotten fired up with someone on here. Nice. Good. 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 
Um, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about you. I like to do some fun, random questions, take it out a little more lighthearted. Oh gosh. I'm so boring. Trust me. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll yeah. try. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Uh, this is, this is the meat and potatoes of life here. Uh, you're on a stranded Island for whatever reason, you can have one music album and one movie with you. What are you taking with you? Oh, jeez. Well, I would, uh, I mean, music wise, Madonna, I, I grew up uh, with her. So, yeah, that's sure. that's. Oh, my God. Some co-workers down there. Just I heard some chuckles. <laughs> bang, bang. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely that uh, food wise. Did you say can uh, movie? Oh, movie, movie. Oh, <laughs> cannolis. I can tell. Cannoli. I had hey, lunch. love cannolis. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Movies. I'm not too sure. I'm like uh, really bizarre with movies. I cry in a lot of movies. Hey, welcome. Uh, to yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a lot. Oh, that's <laughs> like almost I, every movie. <laughs> so I, I picked this movie that I was thinking, OK, my kids might like this. It's called Art of Racing in the Rain because uh, we kind of love motorsports in our household. And it's about the main character who has a dog and everything else. And I'm thinking, okay, cool. Like, thank no, I cried like seven times during this thing. Yeah. It's like, yeah. why are you doing this? I just wanted to watch a dog and race yeah. cars and a family yeah. movie. And this is not what it is. I'm the worst on an airplane. I swear to God, I'll like try to like, Oh, that's too good. Uh, so you did bring up cannoli. So I'm assuming that that family lineage, that Italian lineage is pretty strong. What, uh, it's very if, strong. Yeah. If we were to have a sit down, what is that meal? Cause you mentioned cannolis and I haven't had one in a while and I'm going to try to find a bakery that makes them as soon as we get off here. Oh yeah. I mean, definitely lasagna. That's what I'm known for lasagna oh. all the way. I make a pretty like, like, like that thick lasagna. Yeah. Like, eight layers of pasta you speak in my language uh, you speak in my language uh if you could have dinner with any one person living or not who would that be uh, well I'd, I'd like to reconnect with my dad he died a long time ago so yeah cool. it was an unfortunate time i'm sorry yeah wow that's always a yeah it's funny because we get so many answers of people this or that and then when they go family you know that was something close you know it's a I, I remember like I hated my dad when I showed up to rehab, everything he had died a while ago. And so I, you know, we have to do these exercises where you write a letter to your family and I wasn't going to write it. And then I just remember in one group when I just was spewing just stupidity and, and then uh, thank God we have a really good group here. And Dave just put his hand on my leg and it's like, yeah, but yeah, did you love him? And uh, I just broke down. And that was the beginning of a lot of healing there. Yeah. So it's just like, yeah, hate sucks. Yeah, it does. It does. For you, did you find in the undigging? I know for me, you know, a lot of people, they, there's that argument about what is the gateway drug and they used to tell it was pot. For me, it was trauma. Was that kind of a similar situation for you as undigging or did you did it just kind of come maybe with, with lifestyle? Yeah. and? Yeah, lifestyle for me. I mean, literally coming out being being an italian with long curly hair and gold chains going to church to being a 16 year old in the closet going to detroit gay bars because that's where i originally came from out there like literally every night to uh being this italian cool kid at assumption high school like it was just 
you know and i think it was like i was going on after hours club at the age of 17 cocaine was being served and just you know uh, would i have become an addict without all of that who knows but definitely it played a part and um and then i worked in the nightclub industry for like a decade which is ironic for what i do now and it was just 10 years of i i remember saying that in the morning meeting like i had a good time yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. me had a bad time <laughs> yeah. like it just because i got caught at work doesn't mean anything it was fun you know i had all that rant but yeah. uh yeah I, I mean, it's a blend of everything. You know what I mean? I thought I had a shitty life, you know, a shitty childhood. And now I look back and it's like my dad did the best he could. Yeah. You know? The best he Absolutely. could. And and it took a while to get there, um, you know, but then you're in a room sitting next to somebody in a black chair uh, who's lived the life you wanted and yeah. they're taking a white fob. And you have that moment where you're just like, yeah, it like it doesn't matter how we got here. Yeah. You know, it's what are we going to do about it? And, and I really learned that. Like I've, I've sat in rooms where it's like, you went to Barbados when you were a kid, you went to Disneyland when you were a kid, you, you had everything you lived, you did all you flew. And how'd you end up here? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Cause I didn't do any of that. That's why I ended up here. And you have those moments of realizations where it's just like, yeah, there's a lot of shit in the soup, but um you know, it's just, what are you going to do about it? And and that's how I got into recovery. That's our model where I'm at. It's, it's all about what are you going to do about it? You know what I mean? Because we can talk and talk and talk and talk. But really, if you're not going to do anything about it, like, it's just talk. Mm-hmm. And so we really got into a place here where it's just like, what do you, like, no matter how bad, like, what are you going to do about it? It's just like, these are the things I'm going to do today, just today. And um, I don't know, I'm grateful for that. Yeah, no, me too. But I finally, I don't know about you, when I first started hearing one day at a time, I'm like, what the fuck does that even mean? And now that I know, it's like, yeah, yeah. thank, thank, thank God. Thank the whatever, whatever, your higher power, whatever it is, just great. Mine, mine was the taking the inventory piece. I honestly, as a grown man, had no idea what taking <laughs> inventory, none. Yeah. And if I did, it was not a logical one. It was just like, like just a theory maybe i don't know but sure. i remember you know so upset you know 60 days clean his name was don moran it doesn't work here anymore but he's still a friend and he's a counselor and he's like well what's your part i was just like fuck you talking about <laughs> <laughs> i just told you the story like this is what they did to me it's like no what's your part what's your what's your i'm like i was gonna punch him i was just so like you know inside out furious yeah. mad you know and uh it's not like that. I mean, I can take my inventory like that and be cool with it. Yeah. Um, so to get, you know, everybody thinks recovery is about not doing drugs. Yeah. But recovery is about being that guy who, who like lost his mind when somebody said, what's your part to being like, yeah, what's my inventory? Yeah. Like that, that process is the recovery piece, you know, stop using is in there. But if you don't got that piece, holy fuck. Yeah, you're screwed. I you're know for screwed. I know for me that was huge because boundaries were my hugest issue. Because I wanted everyone to love me at whatever cost of my own self esteem, self worth, everything. So it was like boundaries, and now people having to deal with me that used to deal with me. Now that it's boundaries, they're like, dude, what? 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 what like what? <laughs> it's like no. Uh, just like it's yeah. guess what? My answer is no. Period. Yeah, That's it. Period. Sorry, yeah. I don't know what to tell you. 
well, Giuseppe, I could talk to you forever, but I like to ask, uh, ask you to leave us kind of with some final words of uh, encouragement. If you could. Don't recover and disappear. Like recover and stick around. Like really, we need you. Like the new people, like, like people that are still out there suffering from addiction need role models and need mentors more than ever. It's a different system now from if you're like 10 years clean, 20 years clean, like, like find, you know, a way that you can involved as a, as a, as a role model, as a sponsor, do service at NA or a, or whatever your fellowship is, you know, find out if there's a recovery day near you or close to you. Like we, we, we need to, or mobilize ourselves and remind people that recovery is possible and, and, and stick up for recovery. Uh, there's an army of people that aren't uh, sticking up for recovery. They're, they're sticking up for drug use, which is fine. Uh, but we also need to like remind people like there are options and by doing some kind of recovery movement or some kind of recovery capital movement, like get involved and, you know, be there for when people were there for you. Like when I got clean, there was a ton of people around, making me you know not you know crazy like stopping the loophole of conversations going on in my mind and and hopefully like you can be that for the other new people that are coming around the corner so you know a friend of mine gail says it all the time like just stay just stay and just you know hang out and even if it's just a little bit just if we all did a little bit i can just imagine what we could do 5150 is a lifestyle we believe in pushing yourself finding your passion knowing your dreams and working hard and always striving to make those dreams your reality we believe life is too short to sit back and say what if go after it grab it and make it happen being 5150 is committing to that long hard road that road you know is going to be tough but the most rewarding that's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the Knocking Doors Down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with their content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.